listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you all had a great weekend in the world of sports. A lot went on this past weekend. Let's see. Well, there was no NBA game on Saturday or Sunday, but we do have Friday night's game to talk about. That was in Miami, Game 4 between the Nuggets and Heat, leading to Game 5 tonight. The Nuggets can become new NBA champions if they close them out tonight. We had Game 4 in the NHL Finals on Saturday night between Vegas and Florida. Take a quick look at that. I'm going to talk also a little bit more in the NBA about Nikola Jokic and what he's doing this postseason. The Big Ten in college football has set up their conference games for 2024 and 2025. Going to go over that for a little bit. The French Open Finals were this weekend. Novak Djokovic wins his 23rd Grand Slam title. He is all alone in first place with most Grand Slam titles ever. I'm going to talk about that. And what the hell is happening in baseball to the Oakland A's? Literally last week, as I'm telling you the record-setting numbers of how bad this team is, they just went out and decided to start winning baseball games, and that is, I'm sorry, unacceptable. We'll get to that momentarily. So let's start in the NBA. Game five tonight in Denver. The Denver Nuggets looking to become NBA champions. They won both games in Miami Wednesday and Thursday, Wednesday and Friday. Game four, yet another great game. They got a contribution from Bruce Brown off the bench with 21 points. Aaron Gordon had 27, 6 and 6. Nikola Jokic had a very pedestrian game for him, I believe 24 and 12. Jamal Murray, while not having a great scoring game, had 17 points. He also had 12 assists and zero turnovers. Jamal Murray, in the first four games of the ends of the NBA Finals, has over 10 assists in all four games. Only one other player has ever done that in the history of the NBA Finals in their first Finals game, 10 or more assists, and that was Magic Johnson. Jamal Murray's a two-guard. It just shows you how much of team ball the Denver Nuggets are playing. And I think even though Miami has done the impossible and they've played well and they've beaten the number one seed, a number two seed, and a number four seed in the Eastern Conference, I think it's safe to say they've met their match right now in the NBA Finals and they're not going to come back and win three in a row against the Denver Nuggets who are just overall a better team. They're bigger. They play better offense, and it just seems like Miami has such a smaller margin for error. Essentially, if they don't make 17 to 23s in a game, they're not going to win. And they shot poorly at home in games three, in in game four, and that was pretty much their season right there. They had to come back to Denver 2-2 or up 3-1 themselves. They had to sweep at home, and they not only did they not sweep, not only did they not split, they lost both games at home. We know Miami has played well on the road all postseason. I think tonight would be a close game. Very hard to close a team out. I would find it hard to believe Denver winning tonight's game in a blowout. But I do think they probably win tonight, close out Miami, win an NBA championship, and I don't want to say start a mini dynasty because we we just don't know. But they have all the makings of, you know, kind of like the Milwaukee Bucks team from a couple years ago where it's like they've got the infrastructure in place 
to be there every season for the next four, five, six seasons. Like, I don't think Denver all of a sudden is going to be a seven seed next season outside of injuries happening to Jokic or Murray. This is a team that as long as Jokic and Murray are on this team, I, I don't they're going to be there fighting for an NBA championship, if not getting to the Western Conference Finals every year. Maybe they'll have a year in there where they'll slip up and maybe get eliminated in the second round. But this team, as long as they keep Jokic, Murray, and this nucleus of uh, possibly Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. together, I just don't see them going anywhere. They're too good. Nikola Jokic is the best player in the NBA right now, hands down. Best team player. And this is something that I wanted to talk about with Jokic in that there's all this talk about Nikola Jokic not getting the respect he deserves in the media. And I can tell you why it is. It's because he's not flashy. And it's because he plays for the Denver Nuggets, a team that's just not a team up until this year that had ever done anything in the postseason that warranted, hey, we got to give this guy more respect. Even though he was a two-time NBA MVP and probably should have won it a third time this year, Nikola Jokic wasn't going to get national attention respect from the media until he won a title. And it looks like he's going to get that this year. And then people are going to start going, wow. I mean, look, his game is ugly. It's great. And he's putting up numbers that we've just never seen before from somebody his size and what he does on a basketball court is unbelievable. But it's not flashy whatsoever. And it's downright gross. You know, he takes his shot isn't doesn't look pretty. But. That's why he doesn't get the respect. It's nothing. There's nothing smooth about his game when he's, you know, kind of lunking around in the key and throwing up wild shots that go in. Yeah, he's practiced those. But we all know who the media loves to fawn over when it comes to the NBA. Guys that are just stroking it from the outside. The Steph Curry's of the world. The Clay Thompson's of the world. The Dame Lillard's of the world. Giannis, the freak athleticism that Giannis shows, uh, the quickness that John Morant shows when he's not flashing guns at people, you know, his his ability to get in the lane and jump and contort his body as he goes towards the basket, all that stuff. Nikola Jokic is none of that. He's slow. He's prodding. He takes ugly, ugly shots. His form is ugly, but he's awesome. It's just not what the NBA markets. The NBA doesn't market a guy who kind of has no speed, doesn't really block shots, but he's just a facilitator on offense. His his nickname should be the facilitator because that's what he is. He gets more touches per season than any player in the NBA. His whole team's offense essentially runs through him. He could put up 40, 20, and 10 whenever he feels like it. But because he is so unselfish, he gets his teammates involved more often than not. And this guy is just, again, he's doing stuff that we just never seen before in the NBA. And he's finally going to get his due when he wins his title this season and gets his first ring. But he's not going anywhere. I'm just saying that there's a reason he doesn't get national coverage. It's because nothing about his game is flashy. And we know that media types and talking heads in the media like to talk about the smooth outside shooters that can hit 28-footers or guys with incredible speed or guys who can jump out of the building. Jokic does none of that. 
And if that, and in fact, his game is like I said, it's slow, it's prodding. He backs somebody down into the post. Miami can't stop this guy when he catches the ball in the post and turns over his right or left shoulder. But you can't sell that to the TikTok generation. There's just nothing about his game appeals to the soundbite world that we live in, the TikTok generation that we live in. Nothing appeals at all, and that's why. But should it matter? I mean, I guess to certain media types, yes, it does. But you can't say that he's not the best player in the NBA. He's going to be the Western Conference Finals MVP. He's going to be the NBA Finals. He's going to be the you know the NBA Finals MVP. He's going to be a two-time regular season MVP winner, and he's going to get his first ring. You can't take that away from them. At the end of the 2022-2023 NBA season, Nikola Jokic is the best player in the NBA. Not a whole hell of a lot to say in regards to the NHL Finals, although that was a great ending to Game 4 in Florida on Saturday night as Florida gets a uh, Vegas gets a delay a game penalty. So for the last 17 seconds of the game, Florida has a six on four because they pulled their goalie and they had a one man advantage and they got two shots on goal in those last 17 seconds right there. Point bank blank range and Aiden Hill's leg saved the day for the Vegas Golden Knights. They're going home up three games to one. Yes, it's much easier, not easier, but easy, but it's a little bit coming back from three one in hockey is a lot more. It's been done more than it has in the NBA, where it's only happened, I believe, what, 13 or 14 times we've gone over this postseason. I and, and Florida's already done it once this postseason. Not only did they do it once, they did it once to the best regular season team in the history of the NHL when they came back from 3-1 on the Boston Bruins, winning two of those games in Boston, which is what they're going to have to do if they're going to come back and win the Stanley Cup. They're going to have to win Game 5 Tuesday night in Vegas, then win Game 6 at home in Florida, and then go back and win a Game 7 on the road in Vegas. It probably doesn't happen, but is it impossible to say that it will? No, it's not impossible, but odds are against them. And it's going to be really cool. If Vegas does win, it would be really cool. There's only been six years in existence of the Vegas Golden Knights. They'll have two NBA uh, NBA NHL Finals appearances with already one Stanley Cup win if they can close out this series at some point in game five, six, or seven. But great end of the game on Saturday night. And if you're a Florida Panthers fan, you were probably just screaming at the TV for that last goal to go in. And Aiden Hill's leg, the goalie for the Golden Knights, saved the day. And, yeah, Vegas, 3-1 advantage heading into game five Tuesday night in Vegas. So the Big Ten, we know that UCLA and USC are headed to the Big Ten for their college football seasons and college basketball, actually, to be honest with you. So SC and UCLA going to the Big Ten next year, beginning of the 2024 season, and the Big Ten has already released their conference opponents who's going to be playing who and where. We just don't know the dates of the games. And so for 2024, UCLA, their 
away games are going to be Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, and Rutgers. SC is going to have Maryland, Northwestern, Penn State, and Purdue. Those are the four away games. In 2025, UCLA is going to have Illinois, Michigan State, Nebraska, and Penn State. SC is going to have Minnesota, Ohio State, Rutgers, and Wisconsin. So it's basically a rotating schedule where you are going to play essentially one team twice in a span of four years. And you're never going to go more than four years of – you're not going to miss somebody in a span of four years. You're going to play everybody at least once in a span of four years. But they released that, and it's just interesting to look at because it's just weird. Growing up in Southern California, obviously I was close to USC and UCLA. I worked for both sports stations when I was growing out of college – I was the UCLA postgame show host for football for one season, basketball for two seasons. And then in 2004, I started working uh, for the station that ran USC games. I did halftime and postgame for USC football in, in their heyday during the Leinert and Bush days. That was fun. So I've worked for both. It's just weird to see that UCLA and USC are going to the Big Ten. But this is... Sports have changed. This is the way college football is going to be. It's going to be more of a national sport now and less regional. And honestly, I think that's a good thing because the one thing that I know a lot of people are probably have the opposite opinion of this, but the one thing that college football has been stuck in is regional matchups. And you're still going to have your regional matchups. You're still going to have your rivalry matchups. But for this sport to grow even bigger than what it is, it needs to become more on a national level. you got to have more matchups of teams on opposite coasts. And frankly, you don't get a lot of those during the course of a 12-game regular season in college football. Now, with USC and UCLA playing in the Big Ten, like all those Big Ten teams are basically, what, east of Minnesota? <laughs> and now you can have two teams on the West Coast? I mean, UCLA is going to have to travel to Rutgers in 2024 I mean yeah they'll probably beat Rutgers and probably beat them pretty soundly the way UCLA football is going and the way Rutgers football is going but just the fact that you're going to get guys from Southern California traveling to Piscataway New Jersey for a 12 you know for a 1 p.m. Eastern time kickoff I, I think it's great honestly I think it's great for college football because when else is UCLA ever going to play Rutgers? They were never going to play them. They would never schedule them in the non-conference. Now they're going to be a conference opponent. I mean, just the fact that UCLA is going to travel, like I said, in 2024 to Indiana, to Iowa, to Michigan, it's just giving us matchups that we don't get. And outside of a few big non-conference matchups that we get every season in college football in week one and week two, once they hit their conference schedule, it's just the same matchups that we see every year. And we just need more, you know, UCLA, Michigan matchups, SC, Michigan. We're going to get in the regular season. We don't have to hope for them to be conference winners or whatever and end up in the Rose Bowl together. I, we're getting USC, Michigan in um, or we're getting USC, Penn State in 2024. We're getting USC and Penn State also in 2025. They're having a home and home in those two series. We're getting we're getting USC and Wisconsin. We're getting UCLA, Ohio State. I mean, these are games that everyone wants to see. So I love it. 
I love it. It's weird. Yes, for sure. It is weird to think that USC and UCLA are going to play in the Big Ten, but it's a reality starting next year, so you better get used to it. I talked about this a lot on my daily roundup today, but if you're really interested, go follow. If you're interested in what happened with Zion Williamson and his side piece, Mariah Mills, who clearly were in a sexual relationship over the last few years, Basically, the short story is Zion Williamson had a gender reveal last week on his Instagram, and apparently his side chick was none too pleased. And not only did she just out him, she outed him with some major, major receipts, including wire transfers that he has sent her over the years, texts that he has sent her, Snapchats that he has sent her. It's very salacious. It's very dirty. But anybody that's into gossip loves this stuff. And frankly, She's legitimizing herself by providing receipts because any girl that comes out and says, oh, my gosh, this guy's a dog. I've been sleeping with him for years. In 2023, we know if you don't provide receipts, it's just a lot of all bark, no bite, you know. And Mariah Mills decided to wake up and choose violence last week. And boy, did she ever because she is absolutely obliterating Zion Williamson online. If you want to go check out and read all of her tweets as I'm recording this, they're still up. I don't know if a lawyer is going to tell her to take those down or Zion's going to silence her and pay her to shut up. I don't know what's going to happen. But as of right now, they're still all up there. On Twitter, she's Mariah Mills, M-O-R-I-A-H-M-I-L-L-S-S-S on Twitter. And she's just throwing it all out there. I mean, she's basically pissed off because she had no idea that the guy that she's been sleeping with on the side for the last two or three years just got somebody else pregnant. And she is having none of it, and she's taking it out on him on social media. And, I I mean, it is just, you couldn't write this stuff. It is bad. And she's killing him. She's killing him as a teammate. She's killing his weight. She's killing his financial game. Like, it is is unreal what she's doing to him. But that's the short version. Go read all of her tweets if you're really interested in wanting to know what's going on there. But holy crap, she's destroying him. Sorry, Zion, but... I know you're in happier times right now because you just found out uh, the gender of your new baby, uh, but your side piece is none too happy. Over the weekend, Novak Djokovic won his 23rd Grand Slam title, winning the French Open for the third time. He's the only tennis player in the history of tennis to win each Grand Slam title at least three times, which is just incredible. He's the only one to do it. That was his third French Open, I believe he's won on the Australian Open 10 times. He's won Wimbledon 7 or 8, and then he's won U.S. Open three times. So one thing he's never won is the Grand Slam in the same year. He's never won all four titles in the same year. 2021 is when he became the closest. He won the first three. He won the Australian, the French, and Wimbledon, and then lost in the finals of the U.S. Open to Daniil Medvedev. And I think he's going to win Wimbledon. I think he's got a chance to win it this year, and it would be an unbelievable story. He would be my sportsman of the year for SI if this guy at 37 years old wins the Grand Slam. That would be unbelievable. You can't match something like that. 37 years old. This guy won his first Grand Slam singles title at 23 and or 22 years old. And here he is at 37 years old, still racking up titles. And it doesn't look like he's stopping anytime soon. He's winning these tournaments in straight sets. He just straight-setted Carlos Rude yesterday. I, 
it's like every time I think Novak Djokovic is on his way out or, oh, he's not going to win, this guy's maybe got five or six more majors in him. He is going to set every record ever, and I don't know if anyone's ever going to pass him. If he ends his career with 26 to 28 Grand Slam titles, and this is the crazy thing. I talked about this before in the past with talking about NBA players nowadays where I said, look, I think every NBA player nowadays could you could put them in the 1980s and they could play, but not every 1980s superstar could be as good as they are playing in 2023. Same goes for tennis. Like, if John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors and Bjorn Borg were playing their game in 2023, would they be in the top 50? I mean, they'd be good, but are they beating Joker or Federer or Nadal in their prime? I don't think so. I watch Novak play. I mean, yes, you're taking technology into account, but these guys are stronger, they're faster, they're quicker. Novak Djokovic is hitting ground strokes almost 100 miles an hour. That that wasn't happening in the 80s with the Connors and the McEnroe's and the Borgs and the, and the Beckers and all that stuff. It just wasn't happening. So just like I don't think all 1980s NBA All-Stars could play and be effective and be All-Stars in 2023... I think those guys, the McEnroe's, the Connors, the Borgs, the Beckers, the Lendl's, I think they're just average in 2023. I really do. And finally, I want to end with this. I'm pissed off. I am thoroughly pissed off at the Oakland A's. Remember last week? It was Wednesday of last week, I believe, where I said, look, the Oakland A's are historically bad. This is one of the worst teams we've ever seen in the history of sports. They are sitting there at 12 and 50. They're on pace for like 35 wins. They were going to finish like 35 and 127, which would have been the worst record in the history of baseball, worst winning percentage in the history of baseball. They've been outscored by almost 220 runs. I mean, it was getting into joke status. Well, I don't know who pissed in their Cheerios since last Wednesday, but Do you realize they've won every game since last Wednesday? This team has now won five in a row. Now they're 17 and 50, and that's just unacceptable to me. A's, you're supposed to be crappy. You're much more interesting when you're setting records for futility, not winning five games in a row and now being on pace for maybe 45 wins. You need to go on another 12-game losing streak. You need to stop winning baseball games because – I don't want to see this. I don't want to talk about how good the Oakland A's are playing. I want to talk about how bad they are and how bad their offense is and how bad they can't win a game in the day. They were 0-23 in day games, and now they've won like three in a week. Like, what the hell got into this team? How do you go from 12-50 and 50 to then win five games in a row? Yes, they swept the Pirates over the weekend, but the Pirates are good this year. Man, totally disappointing me, Oakland A's. Go back to sucking. You're much more interesting when you suck. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review in Apple Podcasts. The best thing you can do for this podcast is subscribe to it. Tell your friends about it. Pass it along. We're going to be talking football only in a couple months. A couple months away. We've got the NBA draft next Thursday. We're going to be talking about that. But so much stuff to talk about. Tell your friends all about it. I'd really appreciate it. And remember... Sports will always be the greatest reality show on television.